Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I remember how it used to be. The phone's ringing off the hook. Clients are coming in the front door like crazy. And here comes little technician Timmy. Timmy comes up and he says, hey boss, where's my part? Where you want me to go next? What you want me to do? Gosh, Timmy, if I knew, I'd tell you, buddy, but I am covered up. All of that stopped when I found Shopware. With Shopware, you get an industry-leading expediter right there in the software. It tells you if your parts are here, where your technician should go next, and how much time they have left to complete the jobs in the day. Go to GetShopware.com to learn more. GetShopware.com. Hey, everybody. David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. In this episode, we are joined by Hunt Demarest of Par Mellis & Associates, an accounting firm that specializes in the automotive industry. If you currently have an accountant and you don't know what questions you should be asking, you don't want to miss this episode. If you don't have an accountant, you're going to find out why you need one. Before we get started, make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast so you never miss an episode. We're on every single podcast listening app. If you're checking us out on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the channel, like this video, and leave a comment. It helps spread the word. And here we go. So in all seriousness, uh, David and I both sat through your class at Vision this year um, and and really enjoyed it. And, and some of the things that I kind of took away from it were that, um, you know, gosh, a lot of us shop owners just aren't where we need to be with our financials yet. Have you noticed that when you uh, talk to shop owners these days? For sure. Yeah. I mean, um, there's a lot of people that, you know, were able to run without those for a while. You know, if things are going good, then a lot of people don't even really care about them. But then when things start going south, they got to figure out why right. and they don't even know where to start. Exactly. And, and you know, that's kind of where I found myself at one point in time was I said, um, uh oh, I have no money. Right. When, when we have money <laughs> in the checking account, it's really easy to say, man, we're doing good we're doing really good when that's gone all of a sudden you need to be able to tell where it went um you know and david's got some things that he has some questions about so we're gonna let david talk about that but i i do want you to cover one little topic Mm -hmm. and if david thinks that we should edit it out we'll edit it out but i want to cover one little topic because i think it's really important to those who may be listening you said something really interesting about how you almost automate the savings process. Mm -hmm. And I think that was really cool for me because I came back and implemented that really quickly and said, Hey, let's just start doing this. 
And and I'd like you to share a little bit about how you recommend to shop owners to starting a uh, to start a savings account and why it's so important that they begin to put some money back. Yeah, and so I mean, really, the biggest thing that we need to do when we start up a savings account is we need to set up something that is just going to be second nature, something that's going to be repeatable, something that is going to be manageable for our business. Um, you know, really, what ends up happening when anyone wants to start up a savings account is no one ever wants to do it when things are going well because more money is going to come in the next day, right? Hey, we're killing it. We're as busy as we've ever been. You know, kind of a great example is right now, right? You know, most shops across the country are just killing it. Um, but then what happens is, you know, profit doesn't pay the bills. Profit doesn't pay our employees. Profit doesn't pay the parts vendors. Cash does. And the only way to, you know, keep the cash is to set it aside to make sure that we're not spending it. Um, and so what I recommend people to do is, is really you got two ways that you can do this. You can either say, I'm going to do a certain percentage of my sales every single week. So that obviously ramp up or ramp down based on how good you're doing uh, that week in sales. Or you can do, hey, I'm just going to do a flat dollar amount. I'm going to do $50. I'm going to do $100. I'm going to do $200. Um, but really the biggest pitfall that I see in this, and I get people that get jacked up all the time and they say, all right. I'm going to do that. We're really making money. I'm going to start putting away $500 a week. You know, for some shops, maybe that's, you know, going to be nothing. You won't even see a blip on a radar, but sometimes that's too much money. And what ends up happening is you do it for a week, you do it for two weeks, and then the third week comes, hey, we're a little bit slow this week. I'm not going to do my transfer this week. I'm going to do it the following week. I'll catch up. I'll do double. And then what ends up happening is we get off of the groove. You know, we don't end right. up doing it and it just completely goes out the window. And so what I like to do is, it seems silly, but start small. Start with something that you're literally never going to notice. And so start with $20, start with $50, start with $100. And it just comes out every single Friday, every single Monday morning, however you want to do it. And then as you go on, you know, it's going to be just kind of going in the background. And then if we're going at 100, we crank it up, we do 150, we do 200. And we just kind of grow with it so that we can know that this is going to be a repeatable process. Um, right. You know, the same thing with a percentage, you know, you got to be you know, conscientious of how much your profit margin is, or at least know what your profit margin is if you're going to get into the percentage type game. Um, but same idea. Hey, you know, I got some people um, that do it a lot of times for sales tax. So if you're in a state with got 6% sales tax, I have a lot of my clients that do 10% of their sales every week go into their sales tax account. Um, the following month when they go to pay their sales tax, obviously the money's already going to be there. But over and above that, they're also building their savings account in there as well. Um, right. You know, it's it's right. a huge, huge thing because cash flow, um, other than, you know, technician shortage, cash flow is the number one complaint I hear from shop owners. Um, right. You know, it's, it's really hard to run a business. You know, you're worried about holding checks, bouncing checks, or I'm getting behind on this. And, you know, God forbid you get into one of these kind of crunch situations and you go out and get an advance me loan or, you know, one of these credit card advance type things. And it's just a really, really slippery slope. And, and, you know, I think that was kind of what I took back from, from our conversations um, or, or hearing your training. And then David and I sat in the back of the room and talked about it. Um, and so what I did when I came back is I just took my shop supplies and, and averaged them out and said, this is my average shop supplies. And, and just like I do my labor GP, I've got a reminder on my phone that pops up every couple of weeks and it reminds me to go back and check my labor GP and check my shop supplies amounts and see if they average out to basically what I'm depositing once a week. Right. And, and basically my shop supplies, I want to say I'm like 8% right now, seven, 8% of the total ticket. So when I see that come in, 
I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that, hey, I'm putting this much in accordance with sales back. And it was just something that kind of stuck with me. It was a reminder. It was something that I felt was really important. So more than anything. Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account Go to my shop and click on the rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. I wanted to say thank you for that because currently I have $25,000 in my savings account when I've never had a savings account. So that works really well for me. We can work something out. <laughs> because I need to borrow twenty four thousand. <laughs> yeah, and I need, and I need a thousand. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I came on your podcast. You guys were just like blabbering the whole time, and look, that's <laughs> man. So but yeah, I mean, that's awesome. Thank you. So you're okay with starting small, even if it's fifty dollars a week, something? Yeah, you got to. You got to start somewhere. I mean, you got to realize that. You know, if you look at, I think the American population, less than 5% of people have any sort of savings account. Um, And I think really, unfortunately, small businesses are no different, but they actually have a lot more monthly expenses than the average American. And so, you know, I I like the idea of if you're going to go zero to a thousand and start doing it, that's great. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a habit here and we're trying to create something that we're going to be able to build off of. You know, if you go too aggressive on it, you're just going to shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah, you'll have to dip into it pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, and that should be really a one-way street. I mean, really what we're doing is we are building up money for the rainy day for, you know, in better terms. I mean, shit happens, right? Stuff comes up, stuff breaks, you know, a car breaks, a tax bill comes up, a tax audit comes up. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to move this from a position that if I have an unexpected expense, instead of me dipping into credit lines, credit cards, something like that, I'm dipping into my reserves. You know, it's never nice to do because, you know, just like Lucas was saying, I got 25 grand in there. You know, we're, we're planning to have that and save it, put that away. But then if something does come up, you know, we have a safety net to fall back on. Absolutely. And, and I think it takes a lot of stress off the owner, right? Knowing that that's there. Now uh, I chose to go to a different bank that I typically don't drive by. I typically Mm -hmm. don't see this bank and I don't bank there otherwise aside from this. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's because, you know, 
I have poor money management skills, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm your conventional shop owner. I would buy tools with it in a heartbeat. So I had to go and, and set some stuff in place for myself that says, you're not going to touch that. Yeah. And it's also you're building relationships. You know, it's one of the stuff that we teach is a lot of times, you know, in this day and age, if you really wanted to, Lucas, you could transfer that to anywhere, right? You could transfer it to your other account. You could transfer it across the world. Um, but a lot of times what we're doing too, is we're also building relationships. Now we have relationships with two different banks, um, you know, and so if we need to get a auto loan, if we want to get a credit line, if we want to get something, you know, banks are always more apt to deal with people than their existing customers. You know, they have a relationship, they know you, they've seen your track record, they've seen what you've been doing. And so if we have those two options, instead of just going to bank A and saying, hey, you know, I want to get a credit line to come back and say it's 6%. If you have no other relationships, you're not going to go out of your way to try and just shop this around. You probably say, thanks, I'll just take it. You know, versus if we have these relationships set up that, you know, if you're getting good business from bank A, fine. But, you know, if you need a second opinion, I go to the bank that I have my credit, you know, that I have my savings account with. And say, hey, what can you guys do for me? Um, right. You know, in a time like this year, that was huge because I had a ton of shops that, you know, their bank wasn't doing PPP. And people got into a really weird situation because banks were only doing PPP loans with people that had existing accounts. And so I had a couple clients that really got saved by that because they were like, hey, I just so happen to have, you know, some of my you know credit accounts or some of my savings account over in this other bank. And they were able to get this thing done for me. That that is a very awesome point. And and I think that just like, you know, with us, if if we're working with shops that we have relationships with, we're we're far more uh apt to help them or go out of our way to help somebody if we're we've already got a existing relationship. So I think that's a very valid point. Um so I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Now, David, you had tax questions. And and your exact words were is oh no. I'm going to owe them money and I have no clue about taxes. What wasn't that what you said? <laughs> no, not exactly. <laughs> okay. Hey, let, let me ask you this. Hold on before you get off on this topic here. Um, <laughs> just, just real quick. Hunt. Um, so you, I'm sure you see all sorts when looking over financials. Do you ever run into a shop that has been doing just fine uh, maybe they have a little bit of a savings account, but they haven't been actively managing their finances. Uh, they haven't been using an accounting service or anything like that. And so now they're approaching retirement or they're getting close to retirement. And have you ever run into a situation where you look over somebody's financials and you go, man, you haven't been saving for retirement. You haven't put together uh, anything for the future. And a lot of times shops will just bank on selling the business and that's their retirement or they, they got <laughs> the mortgage cheap enough that they'll be able to uh, flip the land or have somebody come in and buy them out. And that's what they're going to use as their retirement, but they haven't been putting together any savings. And maybe you do look at their financials and say, man, you've been overpaying on your taxes every single year. Yeah. I mean, you got a couple of things in there and you hit the nail on the head on a lot of what you see. I mean, you've probably talked to those shop owners. You probably know them. I mean, I hear people all the time, you know, if we're talking about tax planning, we're talking about anything like that. Hey, you know, you have any sort of retirement? No, I would have retirement. My business is my retirement. I hear that all the time. Um, but in actuality, in rough numbers, if you want to look at it, you know, what you're going to be able to get for just your shop, you know, let's not, let's not include real estate, just the actual shop is about three times what you make in one year. 
And so you tell me if you think that you would have enough money to retire if you just multiplied whatever you made this year times three. Um, most people, that's not a significant enough retirement account for them. And that's just not going to get them the lifestyle that they want. Um, so you're either forced to stay in there, um, you know, you're forced to sell the shop and to get a job somewhere else. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely see that. Um, but that's the ideal as well, right? What? Three times is the ideal. Three times the ideal for sure. Yeah. You know, and that's a situation where you want to sell, right? You have time to wait. You have time to find a right buyer. But I've seen plenty of distress sales. I mean, I was just talking to a shop today who he's going to buy a shop from another uh, guy who's kind of retiring slash getting forced to retire. And he's pretty much getting no value for his business. And he's just buying a real estate. And the real estate's pretty cheap too. So, yeah, I mean, anytime we can get ahead on that, it's huge. You know, I've got to ask, right, because I've, I've never really thought much about retirement. You know, we, we always talk about what are the three things that you might bring to the table or the three actionable items. If a shop owner's listening right now and has no retirement, where do they start? What's the next step? So the next step is just like kind of how we referenced and we were talking about, um, you know, we're talking about a savings account. Let's start at a manageable level. If we're starting with no retirement, most people are living on whatever income they have and, you know, don't have the money to say, hey, I'm going to set a thousand dollars aside for my retirement because we got to think about retirement. Retirement's a one way street. I put that money in, I deposit that. I'm not getting that money out until I've hit full retirement age. Uh, You can take it out before that, but you're going to get killed on it. Um, but really, you know, if, if we're going to break it down, the, the natural progression of what retirement looks like is if you have no retirement set up right now, go out and set up a traditional IRA. Um, you can go through it. Any bank will do it. You can look online, E-Trade, all kinds of stuff do these. Um, they're extremely easy to set up. It does not need to be done through your business. You can literally contribute this money, you know, after the fact, you know, whenever you want to do uh, it's about $6,000 deduction per year that you can get. Um, if you are married, your wife can do the same $6,000 as well. Um, you know, that's that's a pretty good start on there. And then once we have people where they maximize that and they want to go do something over and above that, that's where we go to something like a simple IRA. You know, the simple IRA where that's a little bit different than a traditional IRA is that simple IRA has to be done in the business. Um, you also have to offer it to your employees and so there could be, you know, a, a bit of a cost associated with doing a, a match for your employees. Um, it's not going to be a hateful amount. At most, it's going to be 3% of their of their wages. And that's if they were even contributing that much into their retirement, which most of them honestly won't. Um, and for those that are contributing to retirement, I think it's an incredible benefit to offer to our team. You know, if, in this market where, you know, finding good help is is so hard, you know, any little benefit that we can offer is going to be huge and give us a leg up on our competition. So hold on, hold on, hold on. Break, break this down, though. Break this down because yeah. uh, I want to make sure people capture this. So you're you've started a traditional IRA. You're pulling uh-huh. that money out out of your gross income personal gross income, mm-hmm. right? Which is lowering Correct, yep. your, your tax uh, liability, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we, we have that. Uh, we can lower our taxable income by $6,000. Mm-hmm. And if we're married, 12000 for both of us. Correct. Yep. But now we've maxed that out. We can't put any more money in there without, uh, and we won't incur any further tax benefits for doing so. The next step is let's integrate it into the business Mm-hmm. And so let's say a shop owner's 
make the numbers simple. Shop owners paying himself hundred thousand dollars a year, um, mm-hmm. and, and let's just say that's just a salary or whatever, right? Hundred thousand dollars a year. What would that look like in setting up an IRA? How would they be paying into the IRA? Is it you know pre-tax dollars? Kind of flesh that out a little bit. Cool. And so a traditional IRA is done on a personal level. And so you're paying it with dollars, you know, just like either from your paycheck, either from distributions from your business, either from your personal finances. And so you're just paying it just like it's any other bill. And then where you pick up that deduction is at the end of the year, it gets re- it gets deducted on your tax return. Um, you know, for if you're making one hundred thousand dollars, if your adjusted gross income is one hundred thousand dollars, you know, contributing six thousand dollars is probably going to save you about a thousand dollars in taxes. Nice. Okay, so and we've maximized that now. Now we're in the business because we want to mm-hmm. continue to contribute to our retirement. But we want to integrate it into the gross revenue from the business. Mm-hmm. Is that where the and benefit so the is? Net- well, so the benefit of going to a simple IRA is the is the amount that you can contribute is much more. And so it's about thirteen five a year, so thirteen thousand five hundred per person. So again, if we're talking about a you know a, a couple here, that's twenty seven thousand that you can contribute. Um, you know that would just get deducted out of your paycheck. Um, whether you want to increase your payroll so that you still have the same take home pay, or if you just are saying, hey, you know what, you can take some of my paycheck right now and I'm going to contribute that. You know that's going to get us up to a pretty good amount, and that's the simple IRA raise is where I see most shops. Um, you know, we can get into the four hundred one k, but that's if you want to put thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars. You know, that's when you graduate into that level. Um, you know, a four hundred one k can do a the ton. But, uh, so I'm go ahead. Uh, my uh, my my entire interest in this is in the, from the tax benefits. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have a moral objection to paying taxes. So uh, how do we, do. <laughs> is that thirteen five going to lower my tax liability? Yeah, it is. So same thing. It's, it's, it's just like you were going out and you were writing a check to the snap on guy for tools. It's going to be a hundred percent write off for you businessly, personally, however you want to look at it. And, you know, it's it's really the best deduction out there because we're getting the deduction for literally putting money in our own pocket. Yeah, that's awesome. OK, so and then if we need to graduate to larger dollar amounts, we move into a 401k. Well, what's the difference? Because my, my uh, I, again, I'm not a. I don't, I don't know. I'm asking here. I thought that I had more flexibility within an IRA that I could buy different products or any product I wanted to, where you're sort of locked in with a 401k as to what you can offer to your employees, but really just for personally, what you can purchase. What is that? What's the difference in that structure? Yeah. And so, I mean, right off the bat, the biggest structure between a simple IRA and a 401k is the fees associated with it. And so you won't really see the fees, but they're happening on the back end. You know, average annual fees of running a 401k or, you know, a couple thousand dollars, you know, two to three thousand dollars and even up if it gets bigger. A simple IRA has virtually no fees. And you, a lot of people are saying, well, I'm not paying money on the fees, but they're taking all of our returns on there. Um, as far as being able to diversify this and stuff like that, it really depends on who you get your simple IRA from. Um, generally, most of these simple IRAs and 401ks, 
they're all in just mutual funds, like target date mutual funds. You know, if if you set one up, David, and you want to retire in 2040, they're going to say, I'm going to put David in a 2040 fund. Um, it's, you know, it, the longer out, the more aggressive it is. You know, if you want to play with the money and you want to kind of get creative on it, um, you know, you could do a self-directed IRA. You know, there's a lot of people out there that sell those. Um, the reason that a lot of people don't sell those is because sometimes we are our own worst enemies here. Um, you know, we don't want to get too, yeah, we don't want to get super aggressive on really a lot of this stuff because, you know, we're trying to get return here, but we're also trying to make sure that we're not losing it either. Well, so let me ask you this. One of the things that, that we always see is, is that shop owners will hear something like this and they'll fail to take action on it. They don't know where to go next. Now you're saying the basic IRA, they can go to their bank and get right. Mm -hmm. The simple IRA, is that the same process? Do you recommend talking to somebody such as an accountant? You know, do they call you and say, Hey, hunt, here's what I want to do. What's the next step? So the biggest thing on that is is both the traditional IRA and the simple IRA. Most, you know, any financial institution have those. Um, you know, what, there's really nothing that you have to do. There's really no input that you really need from your accountant other than the biggest piece of advice that I will give. And I've seen this happen to way too many shops is you go into a bank, you go into, you know, your credit union, whatever it might be. And someone says, oh, you know what, Lucas? You know, a simple IRA, a traditional IRA is okay, but I really need to put you into a 401k. And I've seen shops time and time again get forced into a 401k because simple IRAs, they have no fees, which means that no one makes any commissions off of it. Um, right. 401ks have a lot of fees and they have a lot of commissions. So, you know, we see a lot of it with, you know, ADP and paychecks clients that get pressured into having a 401k. Um, so that's the biggest thing, you know, that's, it's really very straightforward to set up, you know, go talk to them, you know, they'll kind of give you the guidelines, you know, give the employees the guidelines on, on how it's going to look like going forward. But I think, I think step one though, Lucas is start with the savings, start sloughing them mm -hmm. away as much money, do it personally and within the business. Mm -hmm. But now I guess where we are in the conversation is now, now we're to the point where there is money there. There's healthy cash flow. We're handling our expenses now we just will need to lower our tax liability to the least amount possible legally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, let me ask you this: Hunt, do you get the do you get that question a lot? Do you have a lot of shop owners that come in saying, "Hey, I need to lower my tax liability as much as possible"? What kind of advice do you give to, in order for them to? again, legally do so without overextending themselves. Because you see a lot of shop owners, I, I will see, I will say, I typically see a lot of business owners, they get towards the end of the year and what, they get the phone call from the accountant says, hey, mm -hmm. you're going to owe a ton in taxes, go buy a truck. And so mm -hmm. they buy a $50,000 truck in order to avoid paying the taxes on it. And I get that. But is that the best way to handle it? No. I mean, that's a, that's, a cheap, that's a cheap, easy way to do it, right? You know, and so and no one likes paying tax. I mean, I, I literally don't think I've ever met a small business owner that says, hey, you know what? I just don't think I pay enough of my fair share in taxes. Um, well, let me tell you, you know, this so is going to play to a lot, of, so a lot of parts of the country where people see that their tax bill as a duty to the good of the nation. That <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> there are people out there that think... It is their duty to pay these tax bills. And so they're like, oh, I got to pay my fair share. And they'll well, then they can, they can skip this money. part then. 
Well, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I'm I'm starting to think that this is a lot like a debate. Maybe I should have incorporated a mute button for David because I just feel <laughs> a David rant coming on. I mean, I, it's happening. I, I know it is. No, no, no. I'm not going to get on my soapbox. It's not going to be a thing. I, I'm just I'm looking at uh, well, for me personally, but I I understand that there's going to be a. I'll give you an example that I know there was a shop owner who was absolutely murdering it. He, he kept his expenses very, very low. Um, he didn't buy a, he didn't go out and buy a bunch of stupid stuff. He was, he was really cash rich at the end of the year and his accountant did not do a good job of preparing him for the tax bill and the tax bill that he all of a sudden got the following year was in the six figures. And he's like, what in the crap? Now it, you know, he had been very at the very end of the year. He was pulling personal money out because they slowed way down, and he um, had hired maybe too many people, and he they took a bunch of time off. And he's like, "I'm going to pay everybody vacation time for three weeks. We let's do it." And so uh, he got a little short on cash, and so he pulled out his personal savings to dump back into the business with the idea of eventually paying himself back. But I'm hoping to help shop owners that see themselves in that situation where they're very frugal throughout the year. They, you know, they, they tweak their business and all of a sudden their gross revenues spike and sustain throughout the year. And they have a killer year, 30, 40, 50% increases in gross revenue. They haven't increased their expenses or overhead expenses uh, too much. And now they they're sitting on a ton of money what do they do with that money and that doesn't involve giving it to the government? Yeah. And so that's the biggest thing is we need to know what that number is. Right. And so we can't be running blind and saying, Hey, we had a really good year. You know, what is this going to look like? How much of this am I actually going to keep? We need to be able to get ahead of that. So we say, Hey, you know what, you know, let's sit down, David. Hey, we had a really good year. I think you're going to owe around $40,000 in cash, you know, in, in tax. And so the first thing we need to look at is we need to say, well, how much cash do I have? Right. Because we can't go out and be spending money to try to minimize the tax bill when that would kind of cut into the money that we need to be paying on taxes. Um, so, you know, that's where we start talking about different things that we can do. You know, you can get into the gray areas of, hey, we can run this stuff through the business. Hey, there's a way we can justify that this is a business expense. Um, but, you know, we talk about retirement. You know, we talk about doing, you know, trying to defer some of the income. We try to accrue expenses on there. You know, we try to make sure that we can set up the financials in a way that they're going to be taxed the least amount as possible. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, one of the things that I hate hearing is just like what you mentioned before, David, is, well, I'm just going to go out and buy a piece of equipment. I'm going to go out and buy a truck. Um, you know, what I always tell people is buying equipment, buying trucks, you know, doing major improvements to your property are really good write-offs, right? We can write off the entire amount in the first year, even if you finance this stuff. But at the end of the day, we're still out to cash. And so I'm never going to be a proponent of just going out to buy something just to sheerly save the taxes on it because we're still way behind as far as cash goes. What I always do is, you know, when I'm talking about minimizing tax, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, hey, is if one of my buying is it going to generate me money going forward? The answer to that is yes. And that's a great investment. Even if we weren't going to spend it, if I'm going to go out and get, you know, let's just say like an ATIS machine. Hey, you know what? I'm going to go out and get an ATIS machine. I need to write off. It's a good time to do it. I'm going to start getting into that business next year. Perfect. Let's do it. Something like oh, a truck. Emphasize you know? that extent. It, it, emphasize that though. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that was, that was unbelievably powerful. 
the distinction that you made there, it's not just going out and, and buying whatever. Because if let's say you do want to avoid paying that $40,000, you could buy the truck and write the mm-hmm. whole thing off in the first year. You won't owe the 40000 But you like you said, truck. you made a distinction and said, mm-hmm. yeah, you've got a truck. It's a liability. It's going to start depreciating. You're going to have to put money into it, keep it on the road versus a revenue generating expense like an ADOS machine or an alignment machine or something that you know will start to produce income for you versus paying the tax. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's also something, you know, it's not always as easy. It's not always as cut and dry as that. Right. But also a lot of times what I say too, is if we were planning on buying this, you know, the first quarter of next year, the first part of next year, we're going to buy this anyways. Let's just accelerate that. And let's just do this at the end of the year. You know, it's even it's even more, you know, it's even less important if you're going to be financing this, because what is a couple months? It's a couple more lease payments, but nothing really major. Um, And anytime that you're going out and really any sort of leases in the auto world are all leased to own. And so as soon as you sign that paperwork, it's essentially like you paid cash for it for tax purposes. Awesome. Yeah, that, that's that's definitely awesome because I know I spent all my money, so I'm not going to have to pay taxes. <laughs> <laughs> what are what are some other you you call them gray areas, but you know it's either legal or it's not. And I'm uh-huh. not talking about pumping personal expenses through the the business necessarily. Uh, you know, instead of you know paying the the gym membership out of pocket, you like all of a sudden you have a wellness program at the shop, and it happens to pay for everybody's uh, gym memberships. What what are some other lesser known uh, tactics that somebody can implement if they are seeing healthy cash flow? They are putting money aside. They're building up their reserves. They know that hey, I've got three, four, five, six months of expenses with payroll and taxes set aside, and I'm taking home a good chunk of money. I don't need any more income, personal income that I just have to pay taxes on. What else could a, a business owner do to like I said, minimize your tax liability uh, rather than uh, paying, obviously, taxes. Uh, Other than just those larger expenses, uh, buying equipment, what are some lesser known uh, tactics? Yeah, I mean, if you, I mean, obviously, there's a gray area stuff like you mentioned. I mean, none of that's going to break the bank here. You know, you could shift some of this stuff as, hey, is this a business expense? Is this a personal expense? You know, a lot of times, especially for, you know, small businesses, the line on that is kind of blurred. Um, but you know, it's, unless you go super aggressive on this stuff, you're probably not going to get any sort of major deduction. Um, you know, really the best, you know, and, and people ask me this all the time and they come and they say, well, you know, what are these rich people? These rich people are getting all these tax breaks. You know, I want to do some of that stuff. If you are not maxing out your retirement, then there's no other place to start. That is 100% the best thing right there. If you're maxing out your simple IRA, then that's going to get you probably more deductions and more cash than you even want. Once you've maxed out that, you know, simple IRA, then we can start talking about other stuff. Hey, then we can start talking about, do we need to pay the kids? You know, their kids work in the shop. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of different things that kind of go along with that. Um, not sure for, how far down the rabbit hole we want to go, but, you know, I can kind of talk briefly about, you know, the benefits of having the kids on payroll and stuff like that. So I've got uh, my kids heavily featured in my marketing. I love that. Uh, with- with the idea that they're they're five and seven right now, but I've got to pay for private school, uh-huh. um, and so 
we pay them a marketing fee <laughs> and uh you know for their use of uh their pictures and videos and whatever else i need them for um and it goes into separate accounts entirely separate accounts that's in their names and those accounts are used just to pay for their expenses uh talk about putting family members into the business or incorporating them i see a lot of shop owners keep that very separated and Mm -hmm. you know they're like oh my wife doesn't get involved in the business at all my kids are completely out of the business what kind of tax benefits could they see from just bringing in your wife to do something within the business or the children if they're under 18 talk about that Mm -hmm. a little bit yeah, and so wife is really not going to get as much benefit because you know you know you and your wife are going to be filing a joint tax return, so you're really not getting any sort of deduction. You're taking money out of your right pocket, putting it in your left pocket. Um, where we get the big benefit with the kids, though, is the difference in tax rates, right? Because just like I said, it doesn't give us any benefit by paying my wife because we pay the same tax rate, so I get a deduction here, income there. But for the kids. Let's just give an example. I got two twins. They're both 15 years old. They're old enough. They're working in the shop. They're doing something. I'm going to give them both five grand on payroll. I'm going to work out to be about $10,000 that I paid both of them throughout the year. Now, since they make less than $12,000 a year, they're going to owe no income tax. And so we're going to have no withholding for them. Um, You know, depending on how your business is set up, we still might have to pay some payroll taxes on them. But let's say that we paid them, you know, we got all the payroll taxes taken out. And on the low side, we now have $9,000. So what you need to think about is we now have $9,000 cash, which is good, right? We took money out of the business. But then what you also need to think is that's what you have here in the kid's account. What you need to look at is the tax savings that you're going to have on your personal taxes, your business taxes. So now we have a new $10,000 expense on the business which is going to save us, you know, conservatively another $2,000 in taxes. And so we just, by putting our kids on payroll, spent $10,000 and got $11,000 back. Do you see, did I make sense on that one? It's kind of a weird yeah. idea, but like literally no, that, we're making money by sense. doing that. Yeah. And, uh, and that most of the time, I mean, if you're, these are, expenses you're probably paying for i'm talking about the children now Mm -hmm. if you're putting the money into an account it's their money you're probably putting money into a college savings account already with you know you're probably buying them clothes you're saving up for a car and you're doing that with post-tax dollars typically and now we're switching that and we're doing pre-tax dollars and so if you want to go even further on that really you know what you can do What you can do there is let's say that we have the kids on there, you know, just like you hit the nail on the head, David, we're not telling anyone out here to just fraudulently put their kids on there. These kids are working, right? Maybe they're child models. Maybe they're, you know, in middle school and they're helping with filing or social media, whatever it might be. And so I'm going to give you two examples. One of a younger kid. We got young kids. We're starting this now. Let's let's use you, for example, David. We've been paying both of your kids. We're going to get them a couple thousand dollars every single year. Instead of putting that into a college savings account, because really the only reason we do a college savings account is to kind of get the tax deduction for it. They don't need the tax deduction. They have no income tax. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put that into a Roth IRA. A Roth IRA is, you know, a retirement vehicle, but you can take money in and out. You don't get a tax deduction for it. 
Now, let's say that your kids are 18 years old. They now have a Roth IRA that has $100,000 in it. If that was in a savings account and they went to apply for college or get financial aid or get student loans or anything like that, if they had a savings account, they would have to report, hey, I have $100,000 of assets. I have $100,000 of cash. They're not going to get any sort of financial aid scholarships or anything like that. However, on all of these financial aid paperwork, you are not, they don't ask you how much you have in retirement accounts. So in that same situation, if you've been putting that money into a Roth IRA over the years, we now have $100,000. But as far as the school's concerned, hey, the kids have no money. They don't have anything and you don't get negatively affected by it. That is brilliant. I mean, that's just downright brilliant. And I, I think that's why it's so important to, to have a glorified professional in your corner. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's why it is so important because, you know, I guess I've always looked at my account and I take him the paperwork, you know, once a month to do the quarterlies or whatever it is, or, or, you know, I take him the stuff at the end of the year and that's, that's the end of our conversation. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of shop owners face that same thing. Right. Maybe they try and do their taxes online. Maybe they um, have an accountant that they pay and they just kind of throw their books together good enough to get their taxes done. You know, and, and one of the experiences I had is that we were doing our own books, but nobody had ever shown us how to do those properly. Well, the accountant just kept saying, yeah, it's $5,000. It's $5,000 because they were having to clean it up. We mm-hmm. never realized that that was our fault. We were paying as much as we were at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's so important to have a professional in your corner because just these couple simple little things could make a huge difference in somebody's life. I well, mean, like David I, said, we're already paying for this stuff too, you know, and exactly. so, you know exactly. for that situation, like we've, if you turn around and say, Hey, you know, now that David's kids are 18 years old and they're going to college, they're going to be able to pay for their college themselves because we've given them all this money over the years. If you kind of trace that back, effectively what you've done is you were able to write off the expense of your kid's college and your business. That's fantastic. In kind of a a circular way, but the end result is, you know, 100% legal and, you know, a deduction for the business. That is fantastic. And that's the idea here. And this this is really why we wanted to have you on, is I don't want shop owners to just go to their accountant and, oh, well, just, hey, shoot me a P&L and let me know what I owe in taxes, rather than go in and sit down with them and have a deeper conversation of, hey, th- these are my future goals. This is what I'd like to see my children doing. This is what I'd like to put aside. How do we make that happen with the business's revenue? Yeah, a lot of times what we need to do is we need to figure out how much cash we have to play with, right? And so if you come to me, David, and you say, hey, I owe $20,000 in cash, but, you know, you got stuff tied up. Maybe the winter and the first couple of months of next year are going to be slow. So you're saying, I need to keep some of this cash in reserves. Maybe we only have $10,000 to play with. And so a lot of times it's, hey, what's the best bang for our buck that we can get for this money right now? And so that's when we start ranking stuff. You know, hey, in a perfect world, we have $40,000 that we can do to spend to minimize tax. But we got ten, So let's just prioritize the best ones. If you go in with a with a plan or at least a, a have the, the basic framework of a discussion to sit down, all of this can get broken down into much smaller bite-sized chunks that can mm-hmm. be then spread out throughout the year. This doesn't exactly. have to be $40,000. This it can be, you know, 3500 over the next 
12 months, that becomes a lot more manageable. That'll be, you know, over $40,000 by the end of the year, but it doesn't look like $40,000 every yeah. single month. For sure. Yeah. I mean, we're just breaking this stuff up instead of saying, Hey, I'm going to not put anything in retirement. I'm going to put 20 grand at the end of the year. Hey, you know what? Let's do that. Just like we do the savings account. And every single week, 75 bucks is coming out of my paycheck. You know, I'm, bad, you know, I should be able to do that mental math in my head. That doesn't seem like enough. But you know, the idea is a little bit every single week is going to build out to be a lot over the course of the year. And you're not even going to notice it's, it's gone. You know, it's just going to be in the background, you know, doing what we needed to do, you know, lowering our taxes, planning for our future. So that's fantastic. Yeah. That really is fantastic. What about life insurance as a tax haven? Life insurance as a tax haven is not a good one because life insurance is not a deductible expense. Um, so life insurance, when I say I should kind of clarify that. So life insurance can be a deductible expense, but if you deduct the money that you pay into the life insurance, that means that the benefits, you know, if you have to use that, if you die are going to be taxable to whoever gets it. And so almost no one ever deducts life insurance or should not be deducting life insurance because the premiums are so low. We're not getting that much of a benefit. And the tax bill that it could create down the road is massive. So uh, as a tax haven, you know, it, it just doesn't really work. If you're super, super high income, you've maximized all of your other retirement options. You know, there is different whole life policies and stuff like that that you can use to put money away. But that's really just a metric of savings, not really a metric of tax savings by any means. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, you know, Hunt, let, let's cover this. You know, one of the things that and we've kind of talked about it a little bit here, but one of the things that we've we've really found within ASOG is there's a lot of shop owners who just need a little bit of direction, right? Maybe they can't afford your service. Maybe they can't afford a shop coach. Maybe they don't know where to turn next. And they're trying to improve their business. And, you know, you've got this amazing perspective because you work with primarily shops, right? You, you're, you're a one in a million accountant, right? Um, what is it, you know, name the top three things that a shop owner can take away from this conversation this evening and can come back and really do something, really make some positive changes in their business with three things. What, what would those three things be? So the first thing we need to do is we need to get a grasp on our financials. You know, we have some people that we teach them how to use QuickBooks and they're going from old school pen and paper. We have some people that we teach how to use QuickBooks where, you know, they're just doing some sort of hand ledger or something like that. Um, or a lot of people that just aren't doing anything. They're just running blind. So the first thing that we need to do, because, you know, just like we were referencing before tax planning is how can we do any of this stuff unless we know where we stand right now? And so that's the first thing. And, you know, anyone out there that says, oh, I'm not an accountant. I don't know how to do this. Um, the most hours of training that we sell for QuickBooks is five hours because I can get anyone trained on how to use it as it relates to a shop in five hours. And really five hours is usually too much. So anyone out there that says, hey, I just I'm never going to be able to learn this. I don't understand that. It's just not true. It's super, super easy to use. Um, you know, if you do need to pay for training, you could obviously hire me, you could hire other people. There's plenty of training out there, but it's something that you need to do. Um, you know, a number two thing on it is, you know, once we get these financials cleaned up, um, or once we get these financials, you know, just like you were talking about before, Lucas, financials are only as good as the way that they're set up. 
You know, if Correct. you set these up in a format where it's just completely junk, no one's looking at it, then yeah, we're tracking everything in there, but we're not getting any value out of it. So we need to set this up in a format so that we can use this as a tool for our business. You know, when you first start out, you know, a lot of people don't really rely on the financials and sometimes it's fine because they're smaller, the expenses are lower, they kind of know what they need to do. Um, and as you start growing bigger and bigger, you know, some of the day-to-day type problems and fixes that you need to do in your shop are going away and you get to the stage in your business where you're fine tuning this. Hey, I'm making Absolutely. some profit, but I'm not making a ton of profit. And really when you get to that stage in the business, you know, uh, and like you said, we deal with shops, only shops pretty much, you know, 99% of our clients. And so, you know, looking at the financials of, you know, 600 shops on a monthly basis, the biggest thing that I notice is that the difference between a shop that's just getting by and a shop that is really killing it is not a monstrous difference. It's just little stuff here, little stuff there. But if this stuff is not set up correctly, you're never going to be able to, you know, kind of understand that, right? You can't feel a 5% slip in margins or 5% slip in your overhead or something like that. Um, you're going to feel at the end of the month, the end of the year in, in the bank account, but you're never going to really put your finger on why. And so having you're these exactly things set up, right. having these set up correctly is huge. And then really the last piece of this is now that we have these, we have them set up correctly, look at them. You know, I don't know how yeah. many people I have right. that have these beautiful financials. We help them with it. And, you know, they'll call me up and they say, well, I just don't have any money. I'm like, well, you're doing the right thing. Call me up because we're going to talk about it, but I'm going to go back to your numbers. Right. And so we're going to look at this because the first thing that we need to do, if you say, hey, I have no money, is we need to start looking down. We need to figure out why, you know, this business is a very, you know, straightforward, easy business when you look at it. You know, we have labor, we have parts, we have margins on both of those. And then we have overhead. Really, if you hit those three things you're going to have a profitable business. But if you're not looking at this stuff, if you're not understanding, if you're not, you know, looking at trends, then, you know, you're just running blind again. You might have the financials, but you're still running blind. Um, You know, one of the biggest things that I see on this is, you know, shop owners, you know, this is, we're in a digital age now, right? I I feel like that this industry is more and more becoming a tech company um, or tech industry. Um, you know, and so a lot of people are relying heavily on their software, you know, whatever shop management software you use, they're in that every single day. That's their world. That's what they're focused on. And those are obviously getting us some pretty good metrics out of there, but all of those metrics in there are what we think we're making. And so if we're looking at that and we think we're making 50% parts margin, if we think our labor margins, 85%. Um, you know, what we need to do is we need to be cross-referencing that with our financials and we need to be kind of, you know, checking that shop management software to make sure it's running correctly. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I was just working with a, I was just working with a shop the other day and, you know, he was just kind of, you know, struggling because he was like, everything is looking good on my end and I just can't figure out what's going on because I have no money. And so we were looking at this tech metric. And sure enough, the margins look good. Sales look good. He was making about 45% on parts, which isn't too bad, you know, given what he does. But when I looked at on QuickBooks, he's actually in the negative. He's in the red for parts. He had bought more parts than he had sold this year because, you know, we're thinking he actually has a theft issue. But see, that's where we got to kind of connect the dots. We need to make sure that the numbers that we think we're running our business off of are real good numbers. You're, you're absolutely right. And, and that's the thing is that, that when I started working with somebody and we started coming back and saying, oh, wait a minute, hold up. Your percentage is a little bit high on parts purchases. Uh, your percentage is a little bit high on labor 
I wonder if a paycheck was calculated incorrectly. I want, you know, and, and watching it on a weekly basis has been huge for me. And, and, you know, look, it took me years to figure out I could customize the PL and go up there and click percentage of income. Right. And now I've got an idea of what I'm actually looking at. But, you know, I, I think you bring up some really, really good points. And, and one of the things that we've noticed within the group is this. And, and one of our last podcasts was talking about profit. And in that, we kept talking about the fact that folks would say, oh, man, my net profit. Oh, yeah, I absolutely have net 25. And then you'd start <laughs> to probe and you'd start to ask questions. And you figured out really quickly they either A, didn't understand what net profit was, or B, they were just throwing out an arbitrary number. They didn't actually understand what they had. And and I have learned as a business owner that there is no way you're going to hold a net 25 profit without watching your financials mm-hmm. frequently, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to be looking at it daily, weekly, monthly. You, you've got to be paying attention to this thing because it only takes just a little bit of extra expenditure. You know, I'm the guy who I get some money in my account and I'm like, oh, man, look at that. I'm going to go buy that, Right. And, and as opposed to flying by that seat of the pants and how much is in the, the checking account, now I'm, I'm watching the P&L and I'm saying, ooh, that's a little bit tight. I need to get that percentage back in line. Um, I don't think that you get to net 25 without watching your numbers. I just no. don't think that you can accidentally get there. No, you can't. And, you know, we got some people that can do it, right? You know, if if you luck out or if you just really know how that you run a business, but more than likely, you know, you need to build to that. You know, 25% is a lofty target. We have a number of clients that hit it, but that's not the industry norm. Um, you know, I think the industry norm is actually into single digits, you know, across the industry on this. Um, but yeah, I mean, looking at this stuff and analyzing it and and you don't know how many times I, you know, talk to shops, whether it's a sales call or something like that, or just meeting a new shop. And one of my first questions is just to kind of get an idea on what they're going through. It's just, Hey, what, what did you do last year in sales? And it's really telling right then and there, because you can tell who's kind of in tune to their numbers. I have a lot of people that are like, Oh, you know, last year we did about 850, right? I don't care about the exact dollars and cents, but they knew where they stand. Um, you know, I would say 15% of the shops that I talk to when I ask that question, they can't even give me a ballpark. They just don't know. And I, I think to me, that's just such a crazy idea that you wouldn't even know some of these, you know, baseline numbers. Um, but like you're talking about, Lucas, as it goes even farther, you know, uh, whether we like it or not, we have to know the numbers. I have to know what my ARO is. I have to know what my margins are. I have to know what my targets are, you know, because if we're setting these targets, if we're setting these goals, I need to be able to analyze this and go back to my team, you know, where you look, even look myself in the mirror. Hey, I need to do something. I need to change something to get to my goal. But we can't set goals and we can't measure this stuff if we don't even know where we are to begin with. Exactly. And you can't delegate that responsibility, right? No. We, we have to be, as business owners, responsible for those numbers. I can have the best accountant in the world. But if I'm not paying attention to that, if I'm not watching it um, and, and, you know, little things, I mean, my wife does the bookkeeping and we'll cross check each other and we'll realize a silly little mistake sometimes that makes a huge difference. And and if we're not watching that, we don't get the opportunity to fix it. We we really see that in the numbers. And, and I think that so many shop owners say, you know what, I'm just going to fly it by the seat of my pants. That's tough. And and one of the things that I've I've really been passionate about saying is this is that you know the job 
of owning and managing a repair shop is not the job of working on cars. No. It's not the job of selling the service to the customer. It's the job of managing and operating the business. They are two different jobs. And and I would much rather see an owner fully engaged in owning and operating the business than I would back here in the back because that's not where he's most valuable. That's not no. where he faces the most liability or, or, or uh, potential harm. Mm-hmm. It's from that business owner's chair, you know? Exactly. And, and, you know, I hear this all the time because, you know, a, a lot of people in this industry come from, you know, the service side of things. Hey, you know what? I was a technician or I was a service advisor and now I'm owning an own shop. And sometimes old habits die hard because their way that they think to go and fix the business is I just need to go back there and do what I need to do, which is turn wrenches, which is sell work. Um, you know, whereas like you said, Lucas, it's like, you know what? Your tools used to be your hand tools, your scanners, your stuff like that. Your tools now as a business owner or your financials are going through this as understanding this so that you can really drive the business. And, and that's how you get real profit. And that's how you turn this into a business versus a high paying job or in some people's situation, you know, a low paying job. A low paying job with tons of stress. I mean, <laughs> a lot of stress. Right. David, I see, it, I see it a lot. I mean, I see it a lot. I, I talked to, I was talking to my client the other day and, and he's kind of on the smaller side and, and he's making, you know, 50 grand a year and he's stressed to the next level. And I say, well, what do you want this business to look like? Well, let's do it. And he's like, I'm not sure. And I said, we got two choices. You can either create a business that you're going to be happy with, or you know what, shut the door and go get a job. You can probably in this market, you can make twice as much and you can go home at five o'clock and not worry about this stuff, you know, hey, so yeah. make a choice. Absolutely. But going going through these financials and becoming an executive and uh, or acting like an executive and, and treating it like that within your business is a function of habits. Just like we were talking about at the very beginning, creating that habit of putting money aside every single week or every single month, however much you can, but creating that habit, looking over your financials is no different. It's every single morning, opening up your books, taking a look at whatever numbers you need to look at every single morning or once a week, but creating that habit so you know it becomes strange not to walk into the business and immediately open up your books and start looking at your numbers to see where you're at. Yeah, but, for sure. But here, here's why, right? Let's be realistic about this. And I, I can speak from experience. The reason they don't is fear, right? They don't want to see what's in there. Exactly. And they don't understand it, right? As, as From my perspective, you know, I came into this as a technician kind of role, and then I moved to the service advisor, and I've slowly grown to be a business owner. When I looked at the numbers, they didn't make sense. The My, my eyes glassed over and the page ran together. It didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And I'm somebody who, you know, I, I can go out to the car and I can look at the car and can smell the way it's running. I can hear the way it's running. I can feel the way it's running and I can look at the data and I can interpret that and I can do something with it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that it's a very, very similar set of skills that allows you to do the same thing with your business, but you have to access those. You have to take time to learn it. It's not that complicated. It's not that hard. And you've got advocates, you know, Hunt, you're an advocate to shop owners. Mm -hmm. There are advocates out there who are willing to spend the time with you and, and work with you and make your life better 
but you've got to ask for that help. You've got to slow down and say, look, I'm going to do this. I have to do this. But I think fear stops so many shop owners from engaging in that experience because it's a whole lot easier to turn away, walk back into the shop and say, well, I'll just fix more cars. Right. Well, that's it's also one of these things, too, of, you know, just like, you know, you make the reference to working on cars is you didn't just one day just say, hey, you know what? I can just see this and I know what's wrong and I know how to fix it. You built that's- skills over the years and you started out. And when you first started, you didn't know anything and you screwed stuff up and you messed stuff up and you got confused. Financials are no different. You know, when you start getting into it, you're going to be like, I don't even know what I'm looking at. You might even like think that, you know, even less once you start diving into this stuff. But then, you know, at some point when you start looking at this, I think what really clicks a lot of times for shop owners and really business owners in general is when you're looking at the numbers on the page and you finally get that, you know, you can see how that relates to what you're seeing in real life. Oh, hey, I see on my financials why my labor gross profit margin is low. And you know what? I see how that relates because this month in the shop, we were at 60% productivity. And so once that kind of light bulb goes off where you can kind of see what's going on in real life and see how it's relating to the numbers, you know, not only is that going to get you a much better understanding, but that's also going to kind of, you know, give you a lot of answers to a lot of your problems. Exactly. And, and I think it, it gives you the, the feeling of control, right? It mm-hmm. gets you to the point that you understand that you can tweak and you can turn and you can move things within your operation to get a desired result. And I think that's why it's so frustrating for shop owners is because they can go to the car and they can get a desired result, right? Mm-hmm. And and when we go to our financials, if we don't have an understanding of what we're looking at, even base knowledge, when we make a change and we don't see it change there, right? And and I've talked to a lot of shop owners and, and it's scary to think this, but they'll oftentimes say, you know, I am terrified to look at my numbers and I am just, I, you know, I've looked at them. They're not where I need them to be. They're not good. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing and I hope things get better. Uh-huh. I hate to tell you, they don't get better until you <laughs> watch them constantly. Just like a car, right? You're like, hey, if I just ignore that problem, it'll probably fix itself. You know, and that has a 0% right. success rate, same with financials. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. It would be greatly appreciated. And if you'd like to be a guest on our podcast, or if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to email me at david at asog.site. That's D-A-V-I-D at A-S-O-G dot S-I-T-E. Until next time. you enjoyed this episode of the asog podcast before i let you go i need to ask you a question are you using the best innovative shop management system in the country if you doubt that you are why are you making your life harder shopware stays one step ahead of everyone else by bringing a clean easy to use program unlike anything else on the market 
Go to GetShopware.com and see what I mean today. That's GetShopware.com. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.